welcome to Experience This, where you'll find inspiring examples of customer experience, great stories of customer service, and tips on how to make your customers love you even more. Always upbeat and definitely entertaining, customer retention expert Joey Coleman and social media expert Dan Gingas serve as your hosts for a weekly dose of positive customer experience. So hold on to your headphones. It's time to experience this. Get ready for another episode of the Experience This Show. Join us as we discuss a restaurant that makes meals specifically for you, a magician who wants you in on the trick, and a guide to living in the now by learning from the past. Sushi, secrets, and stillness. Oh my! There are so many great customer experience articles to read, but who has the time? We summarize them and offer clear takeaways you can implement starting tomorrow. Enjoy this segment of CX Press, where we read the articles so you don't need to. Welcome back to Season 5 of the Experience This Show. For those of our loyal listeners coming back for more, thanks for continuing to spend some time with us. For those of you that may be new to the Experience This Show, hold on to your hats because we have a fantastic season for you. And we're going to start it off with an interesting story that I came across. Dan, I have a question. Have you ever heard about a restaurant? And before it even opened or anyone you knew visited you knew that you wanted to go there. Well, hey, Joey, I'm excited to be back with you for season five. And no, I have not heard of such a restaurant. Well, I had that experience recently when I was reading about a new restaurant opening soon in Tokyo. And I wanted to share this CX Press article from a newsletter published by the team at SpringWise. SpringWise tracks interesting trends and the latest innovations. And they shared a story titled, Japanese restaurant will test your saliva to create the perfect sushi. Aha. Now things are starting to make more sense. But wait, did you say saliva? Yes, indeed. I did say saliva. So let me explain a bit. There is a new restaurant opening in Tokyo this year called Sushi Singularity. They plan to use biometrics and 3D printers to create bespoke meals for every diner based on the individual diner's personal health needs. Wow, now that is taking personalization to a new level. Right? That's what I thought, and that's why I was so interested in this. The restaurant's a project by Japan-based Open Meals, and they plan to tailor the meal to your health. How will they do this, you might ask? When you make a reservation, you must do it at least two weeks before you want to dine at the restaurant. The restaurant will then send you a collection kit in the mail to get samples of your saliva, feces, and urine. (laughs) Hold on. (laughs) I figured I might throw him a curveball with that one, ladies and gentlemen. You had me there at sushi. I was hungry for a little while, but now uh, I think I've lost my appetite. Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. But bear with me. Bear with me. So once Sushi Singularity has your samples, so to speak, they will work with health technology companies to evaluate them and turn the results into a personalized health ID for each diner. This data then gets fed in devices like a CNC or a computer numerical control machine and a 3D printer, which will then custom create the sushi on a diner-by-diner basis. 
Nutrients will be added in based on the individual needs of each diner. Wait, tell me, tell me, tell me. A 3D printer's making my sushi? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I know it sounds a little crazy, but just as I continue to tell about the story, I think you're going to be as excited about this okay, place as so I Okay, so far I'm not buying a ticket to Tokyo. But okay, if my health ID shows that, say, I'm low on, I don't know, magnesium, they would potentially put some into my salmon nigiri? Well, yes. Although, since they're going to be 3D printing the sushi one piece at a time, they won't be inserting it into the salmon. Instead, they will build a piece of salmon nigiri that has all the flavor and the texture characteristics of salmon without using an actual fish. And because they're 3D printing these pieces of sushi, they aren't limited by the size, shape, or colors of traditional fish. In fact, one of their planned menu items, the Dashi Soup Universe, is a cube-shaped soup fashioned out of seaweed particles or alginic acid and white crystalline salt, calcium lactate. Now, I realize this is easier seen than explained. So if you go to our show notes at experiencethisshow.com, we've linked to a great promo video produced by Sushi Singularity that shows the entire sushi printing process. And when you see the various shapes they'll be able to print that diners will then eat, I think you'll be as interested to see how this is all going to work as I am. You're making a big assumption that diners are going to eat it first No, they are going to eat it. Here's the thing. People are looking for unique experiences. We talk about this on the show all the time. And let's be candid. If you're in Tokyo, there are many sushi restaurants. So how do you stand out as a sushi restaurant in Tokyo? Well, one of the ways, and I hate to give this away in the show, you print a piece of sushi that looks like an ancient Japanese temple that has all the taste and characteristics of a piece of sushi, but it looks like you're eating a little model of a building. But it isn't actually fish. But it is fish to your body, hence the biometrics. When you eat fish, you're not eating the piece of salmon saying, I'm thinking of the salmon swimming in the stream. No, instead, you're enjoying the taste of the salmon. So if they get the flavor profiles, it works. This is not that different than the move towards things like uh, the Impossible Burger and burgers that aren't actually made with meat, but they taste like that. This is just a variation on that same theme. What I think is interesting about this, and it's mentioned in the article, is that Sushi Singularity is marrying two different trends, 3D printing and personalization. It's clearly doing it in a very creative and complex way. And if that wasn't enough, the video that we're going to share on the show notes also shows how biometrics and fingerprint identification can be used to identify patrons when they enter the restaurant and produce custom menus and messages when they sit down and touch the table in front of them. Now, let's be candid. I get that this is a crazy concept, but I also felt myself thinking that this probably wouldn't seem crazy if we were talking about this in the year 2030 or 10 years from now. There are so many advances being made in personalized health, biome data, 3D printing, and hyper-personalization that I can envision a world where in the very near future where people would think it's odd to have food that isn't 100% customized to their personal DNA. Well, I know this isn't an agree to disagree segment, Joey. <laughs> but it's turning into that, I can feel it. But, I mean, people also were saying 
15 years ago when I was uh, at a credit card company that credit cards were dead because we were going to only be using exclusively digital wallets. And we're not even close to that 15 years later. So I don't think this is becoming 100%. I don't think this is a thing in 2030. It's interesting in the sense that, and where I see the applications are understanding your body and what your body needs and how your body's needs are different from the next person's needs and being able to influence what you eat because of that. Maybe you do need additional magnesium in your day, whereas your neighbor doesn't because his magnesium's just fine. I think that's really, really interesting. Where you sort of lost me and where I observed our uh, audio engineer, Taylor, throwing up a little bit in his mouth (laughs) over there, was this idea that we're using this technology to create something that isn't real, that is that is made up product coming out of a printer. I mean, even the the uh, the, the the meatless burgers are like produced in a similar way to burgers. They're not printed out of a, a, an HP printer. I mean, so that's the part where you sort of lost me because I I just, that does not sound appetizing. All right, fair enough, fair enough. But here's the deal. First of all, there are a number of restaurants around the world that 3D print food today. A number of restaurants that already do that. Some of the top chefs on the planet are experimenting with this because you can get taste profiles and flavors and combinations that you can't find in quote unquote, the real world. Number two, how many friends have you had? Because I know I've had many who because of a diet or some type of dietary sensitivity or a cleanse that they're on can't get food at the restaurant that meets the requirements of what their health requires. This solves that problem. Because imagine being in a situation where instead of just going to the pizza place to have a pizza and it's like, oh wait, I'm gluten-free, dairy-free, I can't order the pizza. Instead of having them have to make the gluten-free, dairy-free pizza, they can 3D print exactly what you want and make it look just like a pizza. Now, here's the thing. I'd be willing to bet that if they 3D printed a piece of sushi at Sushi Singularity that looked exactly like a salmon nigiri piece and gave you that to taste alongside a regular slice of salmon on a bed of rice, you would be hard-pressed to tell the difference. But that's absolutely untrue because I've tasted these fake burgers and they taste like I'm licking the floor of a forest. Today, today they taste like that because the technology is new. What's it going to be like in three years, in five years? Not to mention, by the way, how much of the food that we currently consume is not actually food? Oh, that's a fair point. So if if we're going to get up on our high horses about, well, I only eat food that's actual food, then suddenly 75% of Americans' diets just got eliminated. Please give me my Doritos back, (laughs) Joey. Exactly. (laughs) That's my bag. But look, it's shaped like a triangle, like a wedge of cheese. They made it look like that. So you would think it was cheese. That is the variation on a theme of Sushi Singularity. Look. Here's the deal. Short of making a reservation and traveling to Tokyo for some personalized 3D printed sushi, which it's clear Dan isn't going to do anytime soon, how can you apply this story to your own business? This is what we like to do on Experience This. We like to tell you stories of interesting, unique things that are happening, but we want to help you translate that into your world as a listener. What can you apply? Okay. In some ways, the application is easier or harder based on your product or service offering. But what I like about this story is it forces us to dramatically expand our minds about what is going to be possible in the near future. 
with wearables, data tracking, aggregative uh, collection of biometrics, inexpensive 3D printing, and an increased expectation for hyper-personalization amongst the majority of customers, it's just a matter of time before your customers, regardless of your business or industry, are expecting this type of custom treatment in their interactions with you. Now, while you wait to allow the technology to pair more specifically with your offerings, what are you going to do to shift your mindset about what you can do for your customers and how far you can take the interactions to make them feel special? The time of giving your customers a standard menu and asking them to just point out what they want is fading quickly. And the real masters are going to be the ones who can attract customers with offerings that are 100% unique to them and therefore leaves the customer feeling 100% special and appreciated. Sometimes a remarkable experience deserves deeper investigation. We dive into the nitty gritty of customer interactions and dissect how and why they happen. Join us while we're dissecting the experience. Have you ever been to a magic show, Dan? Oh, yes, I have been to many. And in fact, both of my kids were really into magic for a number of years, did some at home, and were always begging to go to shows. And so we've gone to a number of them and had a great time with them. I love it. Well, as is often the case in our life experience as friends, I feel like I'm having a very similar experience. My kids are a little bit younger than your kids, and we're going through that phase right now. I've always had an interest in magic, but I have a six-year-old son who is a budding magician. So I've spent more time in the last year watching magic videos, working on magic tricks with my son, purchasing magic books, and going to magic shows than ever before in the past. But I remember that you recently went to a show by yourself. Correct. I was in New York City a few months ago, and I got the chance to see two-time Olivier Award winner Darren Brown stun the crowd with a unique blend of mind-reading, persuasion, and illusion. Is that the guy that's got a special on Netflix? You know, he actually has several, and they're pretty fascinating explorations of human nature, persuasion, messaging, experience. Although, I want to clarify, they're a bit intense, so you probably want to watch them by yourself without the kids before you decide whether you want the kids to watch them too. But these explorations of human nature and experience are the things we talk about on this show every week, which is why I wanted to go see Darren Brown live on stage. And it's not surprising to me that he lived up to the legend, and then some. So tell us about this show while I go on to Netflix and make sure that I add it to my list. Nice. So the show was called Darren Brown's Secret. And while it had an extended run at the fabled Court Theater in New York, it's actually no longer open. The show explored the stories and beliefs that guide our lives and did so in a magical, mesmerizing fashion. There are a few things about the show that I found particularly useful to think about in the context of customer experience. First of all, the show began before the show began. So while we're waiting in line to enter the theater, and then again while sitting in the seats waiting for the show to start, staff members gave the audience the chance to participate in a number of activities. Audience members could have their pictures taken. They were given the opportunity to fill out secret forms. There were multiple ways the audience engaged with the show that would actually come back later when the performance began. 
So for example, during the show, Darren Brown took the photos that people had taken before the show and used them to select people based on their photo alone to come up on the stage and participate in the act. He told them things about themselves that there was no way he could have known. Now, as a mentalist, it seemed like some of this could have been based on observation and commonalities in the human condition. But that being said, he also seemed to be reading people in real time. And the impact as an audience member watching all this play out was quite impressive. Well, I love the idea of starting the show before the show, and I can already see the connection back to our show and the businesses that we're talking to, because often when businesses think about their customer journey, they begin when the customer first steps foot in their store, or when they first get to the website or first call, instead of considering that the show for them actually starts well before that. The part of the journey where the customer is working their way toward you may not be as obvious as it was in the theater setting because it might be something that they're doing off on their own, such as going to Google and, and searching something, for example. But if we're willing to look at it, there are a number of ways to engage our customers before they even get to us. Absolutely. So for example, when you purchase a ticket to a theater performance, I think the general presumption is that the show will start when the curtain goes up. In this instance, it was a real change from the usual expectation. The show began before I was even in the theater, let alone in my seat. And if that wasn't enough, this effort to actively engage the audience continued in each and every interaction and, quote, trick that was performed. In fact, when looking for volunteers for the different stage activities, Brown would throw frisbees into the audience, including the highest balconies in the theater, and then ask the people who caught them to come down on stage and be participants. So this not only created a great bit of emotional theater, and as a speaker, I found it a fascinating way to get volunteers, but it also helped reinforce the belief the audience had that every participant in the show was a random audience member, something which I must confess I'm still not sure about months later and is a big part of magic tricks. Well, and my mind always goes to, and I'm sorry for being the macabre person here, but my mind always goes to that guy in the front row of the top balcony that's going to die for the Frisbee and fall over. You know, so I, to me, it sounds dangerous. But again, it could be scripted. It could be in some way staged. And it's, so it sounds like in any event that this show had many, many layers to it, which, of course, any good customer experience does as well. Absolutely. And that brings us to our second takeaway, that throughout the performance, Brown kept using language and callbacks to keep the audience focused. For listeners that may not be familiar with the phrase callback, it's a term that's very common in the world of comedy to describe a joke that refers to one previously told in the set. Basically, you tell the joke once and then later in the show, the later the better, when you tell the joke again, it usually gets a much bigger laugh. This is because the person leading the show, whether it's a comedian or magician or even your random keynote speaker, makes the audience feel a sense of familiarity with the subject material and the person leading the show. It's a great way to create rapport with an audience. Exactly. So Brown did a great job during the show of using callbacks to get the audience on the same page. And each time he did, it strengthened his connection with the audience. Not only did the entire show build to the finale, which he kept referencing throughout the show, but there were several times where he would actually say, now watch over here because something is going to happen. And then a few minutes later, he would say, did you see it? And because the audience had been distracted by other things he was doing, 
They completely missed the thing that he had pointed out before that happened right in front of their eyes. He then encouraged them to watch that same place and promised it would happen again. And once again, a ton of people missed it the second time around. Well, never underestimate the stupidity of your audience. (laughs) Well, humans are fascinating is the way I like to say it, Dan, but I hear you. You know, it made me think about customer experience and how it can be designed to repeat in a way that feels new and interesting and exciting. See, all too often, a repeat customer will have the same product or service experience with a brand. And I think most brands usually miss the chance to spice it up every once in a while. So can you tell our listeners what happened during intermission? Because you mentioned this to me after you saw the show, and I thought it was really interesting. I did too, Dan. During intermission, once again, the free time that was not officially part of the show was used to continue the journey and create more experiential touch points. Ushers at the back of the stage had more secret forms that could be filled out in case you arrived at the theater late and missed the show antics. In addition, audience members were invited to come on stage and select their favorite animal from a long list of animals. And then later, this seemingly random activity was featured in the big finale in a way that it seemed as if the audience had selected the outcome of the entire show. It was pretty amazing. How did that park work? Well, incredibly well. It kept the audience on an emotional high during intermission. It also allowed them to catch a breather if they wanted. I was reminded of how often organizations barrage their customers with communication when sometimes giving the customer the chance to come up for air actually serves your long-term goals even better than continuing to stay in close communication with them. Fair enough, but I meant how did the intermission work when it came to the second half of the show? Oh, well, I'm I'm not exactly sure, and I also feel compelled to keep the secret, which wasn't just the name of the show. You see, throughout the show, Darren Brown kept enrolling the audience in the big secret, making us promise again and again that we wouldn't reveal too much to other people that hadn't seen the show and thereby ruin it for them, which not only had the desired effect of making people feel like they were special and part of the in crowd, but months later, even after the show was closed, I still don't want to reveal too much and give anything away. Even though the show isn't running anymore. Yeah, even though the show isn't running anymore, which brings me to my final observation. When you create connection with your customers and make them feel like they're part of something special, they will A, actively go out and recruit people to attend. In fact, that night, I told an entire table of friends that lived in New York to make sure they went to see this show. And B, the customers will protect the special aspects of your experience so that new customers can live it firsthand. Throughout the show, Brown kept imploring us not to tell anyone the secret because it would ruin it for them. And by getting the customers to sign on to this commitment, he made sure we maintained a high level of interest, which almost guaranteed that people wouldn't ruin the show for other prospective customers by telling them too much. I think there's a really interesting opportunity here for our listeners to think about their own businesses. How are you enrolling advocates? How are you using mystery and intrigue to layer meaning and emotion into your various customer touch points? How can a sense of mystery or intrigue or even playfulness be incorporated into your customer journey? Friends, you don't need to be a magician to create magic. You don't need to be a mentalist to figure out what your customers are really thinking and then play with that information. What you do have the opportunity to do is begin the show before it officially begins. 
Use callbacks to key phrases and moments in the customer journey to build rapport and connection with your customers. And figure out ways to enroll your customers in something special so they want to tell all of their friends about it without giving away too many of your secrets. One of the biggest challenges that customer experience folks have at their organizations is convincing their colleagues and boss that CX is important. We often hear from our clients that while they believe in the value of creating remarkable customer experiences, their leadership team needs more convincing. If this sounds like your company, keep listening. Our partners at Avtex are hosting Engage 2020 this summer in Orlando, Florida. They're bringing an outstanding lineup of customer experience experts and thought leaders to offer insight about creating remarkable customer experiences and share the real economic impact that CX has on your bottom line. Now, that isn't enough to convince you to come down to Florida and bring your boss with you. Did we mention that the event is being hosted at Disney, Disney World? World? If you're listening to this show, you know that the team at Disney is absolutely world-class at creating experiences that keep their customers coming back again and again. You also know that both Dan and Joey are huge Disney fans. Woohoo! At Engage 2020, you'll get the unique chance to pull back the curtain on the Disney World experience through a series of special surprises right in the park. As you think about where to spend your training and development dollars in the year to come, Engage 2020, which again is happening June 21st through 24th, needs to be on your calendar. And we're happy to share a special code just for listeners of Experience This that will save you 10% off your ticket price. Just use the secret code EXPERIENCETHIS10. To learn more about the event, the agenda, and what you can expect at Engage 2020, visit www.avtexengage, that's A-V-T-E-X, engage.com, and we'll see you at Engage 2020 this June. We spend hours and hours nose-deep in books. We believe that everything you read influences the experiences you create, so we're happy to answer our favorite question. What are you reading? Joey, it's been a while since I've had a chance to ask you what you're reading beyond the books that are written about customer experience and customer service. Well, it has been a while, Dan. And to be honest, I've been reading a lot of books that probably would be defined as pure business. But I read a book at the end of last year that ended up being my most favorite book of 2019. And I've actually gone back and reread it since. It was that good. Wow. Tell me more. This sounds like a good one that I need to add to my own bookshelf. You definitely should. So the book is called Stillness is the Key. And in the interest of full disclosure, it's by my good friend, the modern day philosopher, thinker, and writer, Ryan Holiday. So to set the stage a bit, Stillness is the Key is the third book in Holiday's trilogy about Stoic philosophy. Stoic philosophy, eh? Uh, let's be careful here, Joey. I mean, this is not something that sounds like people are going to get excited about. After all, it's stoic. Okay, I see what you did there. but And you're right. Stoic philosophy doesn't usually get folks super excited. But having read Holiday's first two books in the trilogy, The Obstacle is the Way and Ego is the Enemy, I was ready and waiting to see how he would bring everything together in this final book. And he didn't disappoint. So the book is divided into three parts, the mind, the spirit, and the body. And in each part of the book, Holiday offers a series of maxims and advice backed by diligent research into stories that you think you know, 
but you really don't know the whole story. So how about you give us an example? Okay. So in college and law school, I spent a good amount of time studying the American presidency. And from the time I was very little, I was always fond of John F. Kennedy. I've studied his presidency in classes. I've written papers about it. I've given speeches about it. I've listened to lectures about it. I've read numerous biographies. I know a fair amount about JFK. I don't think of myself as an expert on his presidency, but I've spent enough time with it that I felt pretty comfortable that I knew most of the story. But one of Kennedy's most significant moments in his presidency was the Cuban Missile Crisis. And in Stillness is the Key, I got to see an entirely new side of the story. So the book shares how Kennedy spent the entire crisis trying to get everyone around him, his advisors, the other elected officials, the military, the intelligence community, to slow down so they could really think about the problem that was in front of them. Now, all too often, especially in 2020, I think that situations and problems and crises are coming at us so fast that rarely do we take the time to pump the brakes and think. We usually get locked into our initial impressions or go with our gut without making time to slow down and consider the situation all the way through. During the crisis, Kennedy became fixated with insisting that people think about why the Russians did this. What is the advantage they're trying to get, he would ask his advisors, with real interest. He took his time and eventually ordered a blockade, which interestingly enough, embodied one of his favorite expressions. And I'm quoting from the book now. It used time as a tool. It gave both sides a chance to examine the stakes of the crisis and offered Khrushchev the opportunity to reevaluate his impression of Kennedy's supposed weakness. In sum, by taking the time and being still, Kennedy was able to slow things down and avert a potential nuclear war. Well, I find this really interesting if you bring it to today's society and culture that everybody always seems to be running, running, running. We're using devices. We're always uh, having – we've got phone calls and emails and tweets to respond to. We're going from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting. And just getting home and sitting down on the couch after a long day is the new luxury, right, because we've spent the whole day – uh, moving. And so conceptually, I think that slowing down makes a ton of sense. And I've found that even taking, for example, a few minutes before bed to read a book, which is something I don't do nearly as often as I should, just helps to kind of remove the stress and get me to think a little bit more clearly. So I think conceptually, this makes a lot of sense. Exactly. And that was definitely the takeaway that I had from the book is that there is so much rushing. Why aren't we slowing down? Now, I realize that the Kennedy story I shared is pretty dramatic, but rest assured that the entire book is filled with these types of fascinating behind the scenes stories of situations that you think you know about, but really there's more to the story. For example, uh, he details what happened behind the scenes with the fall from grace when Tiger Woods' personal and professional life life imploded for all of us to see. He talks about Napoleon's habits for opening and responding to mail, Sean Green's batting slump with the Los Angeles Dodgers, and Fred Rogers, or Mr. Rogers as most of us know him as, ability to write programs for children that still resonate with today's attention deficit kids. 
Now, there are so many times that we find ourselves faced with a challenge that we immediately jump in to solve or we go into triage mode. Uh, a customer complains about a situation. A marketing campaign doesn't produce the numbers we thought it would. A new competitor enters the marketplace. Instead of slowing down to truly evaluate the situation, we jump into action and we justify this behavior by citing our speed to answer or our call resolution time. Instead of taking the extra minutes or hours or days to truly understand the situation and then decide what to do next. You know, I'm going to be a tiny bit vulnerable here with you, Joe. Oh, I like it. What I find is that in my professional life, I'm able to do this. I'm able to advise a company, for example, don't freak out that nobody's responded to your social media message yet. You know, it takes time and relax and let's check it again in a week and let's not jump to conclusions. In my personal life, I'm not as good at that. And I often jump into problem-solving mode, or so I've been told, when somebody comes to me with a problem that they're having. And sometimes, as it, as it pertains to me, it happens to be the women in my life, often just want to talk and have somebody to talk to and they and somebody to listen, not to solve a problem. And I've even sort of worked this little dealie out where I'm like, you know, if you can tell me ahead of time that you just want me to listen, <laughs> then I'll zip it and I won't jump into problem solving mode. Yeah, I love it. Uh, a, a not uncommon experience in many couples and many relationships between men and women around the world. We could do a whole segment and episode. In fact, we could do a whole season on this topic alone. And what I think it illustrates is that we are so compelled to take action as opposed to savoring things. And one of the things I actually tried to do when I was reading the book was savor it. Not only did I find myself slowing down consciously to enjoy holidays prose, but I found myself limiting my reading time so that I could draw out the number of days that I would spend reading the book, as opposed to, I got to get to the end of the book because I want the next book to read. You're not, so you weren't binge reading. I wasn't binge words. reading, exactly. And in an age where it seems like we're encouraged to consume as much content as possible, as often as possible, it was a real treat to seek stillness in my own reading and savor this book. In fact, Holiday quotes Blaise Pascal as saying, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Is that like Pascal, the French mathematician? Exactly. And here's the interesting thing. Pascal was encouraging us to be still in 1654. How much easier do you think it was for him to be still almost 400 years ago, right? Children, put your rocks down and yeah, pay attention. Exactly, you know, he didn't have all the distractions that we have today, and yet it was an issue back then. In fact, Holiday notes that if the quiet moments are the best moments, and if so many wise and virtuous people have sung their praises, why are they so rare? Well, the answer is that while we may naturally possess stillness, accessing it is not easy. And stillness is the key. Not only does Holiday present the reasons for this type of approach to life, but he offers a roadmap of tips and techniques and behaviors that are designed to help his readers achieve the elusive stillness. I think my feelings about this book can probably best be summed up by something Ryan Holiday writes in the preface of the book. Buddhism, Stoicism, Epicureanism, Christianity, Hinduism, it's all but impossible to find a philosophical school or religion that does not venerate this inner peace, this stillness, as the highest good and the key to elite performance and a happy life. 
And when basically all the wisdom of the ancient world agrees on something, only a fool would decline to listen. Do yourself a favor, friends. Go purchase a copy of Ryan Holiday's book, Stillness is the Key. You won't be disappointed, and it might just change the way you look at the world and the experiences you're creating. Wow! Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This. We know there are tons of podcasts to listen to, magazines and books to read, reality TV to watch. We don't take for granted that you've decided to spend some quality time listening to the two of us. We hope you enjoyed our discussions, and if you do, we'd love to hear about it. Come on over to experiencethisshow.com and let us know what segments you enjoyed, what new segments you'd like to hear. This show is all about experience, and we want you to be part of the Experience This Show. Thanks again for your time, and we'll see you next week for more Experience This.